to our presentation. I'm taking Mary Balkin's place as the representative of the Center for Faculty Development in the College of Education. And I'm going to let our presenter introduce himself and his topic. Yeah. Dr. Jones? Uh, thank you. Um, and thank you to Frank for <laughs> filling up more of the room than would have, would have otherwise. Um, I know uh, Frank from my experience in China. It's one of the very, probably the only person in the United States that I met in China first. <laughs> um, and so he uh, was an excellent, uh, he, he helped me feel more at home over there and I'm hoping I'm doing the same thing for him. Um, uh, so what, I should, what should I say about myself? I'm uh, in the English department, I'm a director, I'm one of the directors of the first year writing program. Um, and for many years, sort of oversaw the ESL portion of our program, but in, in no way am an expert in that. And so the only expert I, expertise I have about the subject is all, at, that I have about this subject at all is from the four weeks that I was in China. So it's limited. And fortunately, we have many experts in the room, so I'm only gonna be talking for about 30 minutes. There are a whole bunch of Chinese students here who can probably correct me uh, about some of the things, or at least add to what I'm saying. Um, because my experience is only at Wuhan University, and um, I'll explain some of the problems with that. Um, Debbie was nice enough to point out that, in fact, I need my own correction here. Um, I added this at the last minute, and I knew the title was wrong, or didn't work very well, but because um, it was originally expectations about blah, 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 but instead it became backgrounds, attitudes, and experiences of learning English of Chinese international students. And probably even if you have English as a second language, you'll realize that that's fairly awkward. So I'm just gonna <laughs> point, point that out. Um, but at the very last moment, I changed it from the, um, from the uh, PowerPoint presentation picture to this one. And uh, bonus points for anyone and it, only if you've been to China could you possibly know this. Do you have any idea what that is a photograph of? Is that a lake near the campus? It is a lake near the campus. I think that qualifies. I think you win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed. Uh, I wanted. To, I was really impressed with the, the campus, and in fact, the Wuhan University campus is very consistently rated the first or second most beautiful university in China. And this is something that they had redone. The lake was incredibly polluted. The government had been um, bombarded with complaints for many years, and eventually they did what they usually do in China. Once they decide on something, they absolutely go at it. So everybody who lived around the like two or three mile perimeter of the lake, out, their home, gone, just move. And then they, that allowed them to clean up because everyone who was living around the lake was dumping all their um, garbage in the lake. And they put in this beautiful path and bike path and it was, it was extraordinary. So, um, and that sort of leads into my first slide, which is um, the kind of the caption is like everything else China's government does, it doesn't do it halfway. And this is a very normal picture, photo of an urban landscape there are almost no landscapes that don't have cranes sitting on top of them because the building that's going on in China is so extraordinary. And I saw this reflected in a certain pride in the Chinese people. 
um, whenever I took photos, or whenever I saw other people taking photos, for example, at the um, uh, when, when I was when I was in Beijing at the uh, Forbidden Palace, people would be would have pictures taken of them with the buildings in the background, and they would be going like this, as if, see, this is my country, this is the august, um, t uh, t you know, two millennia history that I come from. I've never seen anything like that in the U.S. So there, there's a, um, and I think especially now with um, what's happened over to China over the last 40 years, there is a tremendous sense of pride and of things being possible. So it's not just buildings that they're going all out with, they're also going all out with, with, um, uh, with education. Um, I underlined some things in this a book that was, it was a history of uh, the um, Chinese uh, focus on uh, English education. And as you can imagine, during the Cultural Revolution, English disappeared. They simply didn't teach it at all. Um, and uh, textbooks gone. Um, and you know, here's the popular slogans of the time where I am Chinese, why do I need foreign languages? Right? They were completely cut off from the world, and the West was the enemy. No, no reason to be in touch. But as you all know, um, under uh, Deng Xiaoping in the late 70s and through the 80s and even 90s, um, they had the open door policy. And if you're going to open the door to the world, then you're going to be opening the door to the United States because the United States is all about, um, uh, is, is all about uh, you know, the, uh, their, um, their, you know, our, our, cur our current, I guess, still, and certainly at the time, uh, we were the dominant economic power. They had to learn English. So there are a lot of reasons why they wanted to learn English, not just because of uh, international trade, and, um, but, but even in their own country, growing the tourist industry and um, a massive um, mobilization to create a, a curriculum and textbooks resulted. Um, in fact, this one guy was quoted as saying, English learning has become a mania. There was just all these different things that people were doing to figure out how to uh, dive into English and become uh, con conversant. So, um, in the 21st century, uh, it's clearly very established that English is a key, one of the key subjects, along with math and others. Um, and it's the only subject on the Gaokao that can be taken, that can be retaken, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, there is a tremendous uh, sense of anxiety uh, that students had about, have about English. And if, I, I think the sense was that if we don't give them a second chance, they're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have a rebellion. So um, that, the other thing is that uh, the Gaokao uh, and especially the English subject is a key determinant for university acceptance and good jobs upon graduation. Um, and of course, English is crucial uh, to, ha to integrate China into the modern economy. Um, so the question is, uh, who comes to the U.S.? Um, uh, who are these Chinese students uh, that we're getting more and more of? Um, part of the thing is that the public schools are the more competitive ones compared to the private schools, and only about 50% of middle school students are accepted by public schools. So you've already, you know, there's an incredible pressure to be able to succeed very early in the lives of these students. Um, and the, the private high schools are open 
uh, to those who plan to study abroad. You know, let's say they haven't gotten to public school, but their parents are, are wealthy and they can afford to send them uh, to private schools and they, they can graduate from a private school and then study abroad. Um, so th this is, um, so it's a very high stakes kind of uh, education. I mean, in some ways it's much more like, you know, France or Germany where you've got some kind of testing system uh, that determines who's going to go into um, university. But, but the, it's even, it seems to be even more high stakes uh, in China. Um, I got to experience this firsthand, how the, what they call the Gaokao. The Gaokao is the national uh, test. Very similar to the SAT and, and the ACT, except far more high stakes because it was only taken once during the year. You have one shot at doing well on it. It's an exam that lasts nine hours over two days. Um, it's incredibly grueling. I happened to be there at the time that it was administered. All the professors who had, I happened to know a number of professors who had children who were taking the Gaokao. It was like everything shut down <laughs> for, that, for those two days. There was nothing that happened because we had to, fo they had to focus on making sure their child was in an emotionally good state to be able to take that test. Um, I remember my, I have a friend actually who lives in southern China and you know, they drove their daughter to, this, um, to the town where, this, um, where the test was going to be given. They made sure that she was comfortable in her hotel room. I mean, everything wrote, you know, rode on that test, so they take it very seriously. Um, what's interesting is the English part of the test, um, at least the written part, they only have to write 120 words. Now, I'm sure my, the, your, my ch the Chinese students who are here you can correct me about any of this stuff, uh, even in the middle of my talk, if something doesn't seem right. But this was the information I got, that the English expectations were 120 words, and then there was an 800-word uh, uh, limit for the Chinese essay. Does that sound right to you? Okay. high score, you have to write 150 words. You have to what? 150. 150 would be the, I remember hearing those two, di two different scores. I didn't realize that that, that, that was an option. Um, I, one of the ways that I forced myself to get to know other people was um, I, I, when I went to the cafeteria, my, I, I would go to the line and there'd be a whole bunch of food over th in front of me, and I'm vegetarian. And I knew in advance that the Chinese are very clever at hiding pork in almost everything. Um, so I, asked, I would ask people, as, as I was in line, um, can you tell me what foods are safe for me? And then they would, they would communicate with the, um, the, the, the person who was serving the food. Um, one thing that was interesting for me to notice is that many students were not willing to talk with me because they were too embarrassed. They, as much as there is a focus on English, many of the Chinese students, undergraduate students, seemed um, they were too shy. They were too insecure uh, with their language to be able to talk to me. So I would, I would say that maybe, maybe half the students were willing uh, to talk to me and answer my questions. And in any case, I met Jane Jane, who was actually was a, a, was a freshman, and um, I, uh, we got into a conversation. And we've actually since become pen pals, and it's been fascinating to have this ongoing conversation with her. Um, so one of the things she wrote, and this will give you a flavor for how intense it is. I'll just read it out loud. Um, the other thing that's amazing, I did not change anything. Her English is unbelievably good. Um, 
Now, she was, we'll talk about this later, but she was using, I know she was using a machine translator, but you, machine translation does not give good English like this. So, do you know the middle school students in China are the hardest working middle school students in the world? It sounds like, oh, you know about, you know, <laughs> it seems a little bit odd, but, uh, but then the details made me a believer. When I was a high school student, I got up at 6.30 a.m. and went to bed after 12. I have full classes and too much homework every day except Saturday afternoon. Actually, most of Chinese high school, students, high school students have the same life as me, even busier. We just want to get into a good university. Again, so there's, that, there's that pressure. Many people say that America's high school education is much easier. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm sure, now this is really crazy. I'm sure many high school students spend more time studying than I was because even my teacher said to me, you are lazy. I remember that I had eight classes every day, and except Saturday, I, then I only had five on Saturday. Oh, blessed relief, right? <laughs> Besides, everyone must go to school to have evening self-studying until very late. Is there any time for having fun? Homework is really too much, and al although high school was very hard, but we also could find uh, fun in it. Many Chinese people really missed their high school days. It proved how you worked hard for your dreams. So you can see she's got that what I think of as, not that I'm an expert on Chinese people at all, but this to me sounds very, re very resonates with what I've come to understand, that Chinese people uh, are incredibly hardworking and take pride in that, but at the same time, you know, there's gonna be a little bit of complaining. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think totally understandable. Uh, the, the Chinese, she clearly, and her friends, they were working incredibly hard. And I think a lot of that can be blamed on how important this one exam is. So, um, as you can see from the, ignore these lines here. The bar chart is the most useful thing here. It shows that there's a steady increase in the number of undergraduate students who are studying in the U.S. Um, that should be 20, 2005 to 2015. Uh, we're not going back to the Middle Ages there. Um, uh, what's interesting is the, initially it was mostly graduate students who were going, but now increasingly it's undergraduate students as well. Um, but again, more and more students choose to go abroad to pursue a bachelor's degree as an alternative to taking the Gaokao. That's how important that is. Uh, that is, it shows how important getting an English education is for many of them, um, or some kind of international university education. Um, So looking at it from the other end now, instead of thinking what are the forces that are pushing students to China, what is it is, that is happening at Seton Hall? And Lee Animas can help out here because uh, she's, I've been working with her uh, pretty closely this year because of uh, the English requirements that her students have. In Stillman School's two plus two program, was a, which is a program where students come over after already taking two years of college, college um, in, in China, and then coming here for their last two years. And you can see the numbers are growing, 17, 24, projected about the same, but then they're planning to expand to have a three plus one plus one program. Can you explain what that is? What's this? Two plus two, I understand. I'm not so good <laughs> sure. with three plus one so plus one. So a three plus one plus one would be three years in China, one year here to complete um, their oh. undergrad, and then a graduate degree. Oh, okay. So um, in our accounting program that has that program, okay, all right. 
Um, I did a search, because um, I wanted to know the bigger picture. Uh, fortunately, I've got a buddy who deals with the banner program, and um, he really, uh, he was great. He sent me this information right away. So the total number this spring enrolled international students from China is 56. Not, you know, a huge number out of our entire population, but it is a growing one. The other, the, their average GPA is 3.19. I don't know, well, does that kind of an average, what is the, do you have any idea what the average student is getting? Yeah, that's an average business student, maybe a little bit lower. But maybe a little bit lower, but fairly, but okay. All right, well that's, well that's good to know, because the majority of them are business majors. So this, this is useful and, and, and promising. It suggests that these international students are uh, doing okay. Uh, and uh, given the English language issues, that's uh, impressive. Can I ask, can I ask yeah, that? sure. Is that the 56 only undergraduate students? This is undergrads. Yes, it's only undergrads. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I'm not interested in graduate students, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm, <laughs> I'm very interested in, yeah. Yeah. Undergrad. That's the, that's what the computer says. Yeah. And at, and at first, I just did a, I, I asked for all this, the, the headings, and I included ethnicity, but I didn't include their, uh, you know, their home state or their home country. And uh, what I did is I just, I, I just selected Asian, and then I picked all the names that looked like they were Chinese, which is a pretty good way of knowing, but not entirely, I found out. Um, so, but yeah, that, that's a, pr a pretty accurate number. I, in fact, I would say it, it is accurate. What about the GPA? Is it for the, China, uh, the courses they take in China? Or no, no, this is in, the, in Seton Hall. Oh, no, this is at Seton Hall, yeah. Um, yeah, I, what I didn't do is I didn't do an analysis of the type of course they're taking, but I mean, I'm sure the business folks could say, you know, what they're taking. Yeah. I'm Dave Mess, by the way. Yeah, hi. Um, but I think what's, what you may not be capturing correctly here is that since many of them are coming through relationships, we are not, this is not probably a uh, sort of a, a random sample of students from China. These are students coming out of very specific institutions and, and probably better institutions than perhaps on average. Oh, really? So what, how come they wouldn't show up in the banner system? Well, I'm just saying is the students that you're looking at there in our two plus two programs or three plus one. These are oh, not sort of. Those are. Sort of, they, none of these students are ones where someone just applied to Seton Hall to come here. These are all students that effectively okay. are in an organized program. It's a school that Seton Hall okay. has said we're willing to partner with. And so that they're not going to give you, you know, they're not, they may not be the same results you would have had if you simply had students coming from. Right. Right. Undergrad students coming from China. So it's a, it's a very unique population. Yes, and I, and I don't know, I mean, um, well, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, since th that all of these students, if we subtract uh, the 24 from the 56, presumably we would get the business students who are not in the 2 plus 2 program, right? In, so, the, in the NF56. Yeah, right. You are, you're capturing, and that's, that seems a little low to me. I saw the report that yeah. you sent me. And, yeah. um, so primarily, we have students in these um, formal two plus two programs, but we have other schools that we have more informal relationships okay. with, as an example, okay. Canbard, or other schools that, right. um, that we don't have these formal 
Constitution, okay. Okay. but Dave's statement is correct in yeah. that we do kind of hand select the schools right. that we're going to make more formal articulation right. agreements right. with. Right. Also, yeah. just so you, what you're really, you're also, your, your upper part of the slide you're picking up when they enter, so 17. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. This is the incoming class. Right, but your bottom there is, the, is all students enrolled. So that, yes, that's uh, right. For example, in 2018, right. you really are picking up the 17. There's going to be a, that's so right. 41, yeah. So it's a big uh, chunk. Six are, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very big chunk are from that program. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so uh, just a little bit of a, I just, a slideshow on what the city itself um, well, actually, just one slide show. If you multiply this by about a thousand views, you get some sense of the size of Wuhan. Wuhan is a small city in China. It's only seven million. Okay, so um, just to give you some sense of perspective. Uh, now we're at Wuhan University, uh, and you can see why it was rated the most beautiful university in China. Um, some things that are kind of interesting to me. Since I play ping pong, I got to be in a place that where ping pong is revered, which is really cool. Of course, I got killed, um, but uh, it, was still, it was nice to play with people who were much better than I was. And then this, you saw all the time, the umbrella out to protect them from the sun. Uh, at least women. Men were not so hot with the umbrellas. Um, oh, I forgot I, oh. Okay, you get to actually say it. Yeah, okay, enough of that. Um, so, I was, no, 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 no. I, I could actually do something close to that, but um, it was interesting. It was both men and women, too, definitely not just a, a male sport. I took this picture because this is the building that they, they gave me an office in. The other, what was interesting is they converted this to a bat, this courtyard within the building to a badminton court. So the faculty and students at any point they wanted to could, could, um, could play a game, and I saw that actually happening. I thought that was really cool. Um, and they actually gave me an office that's far superior to the one that I have at Seton Hall. And this just to show, um, they, this woman, uh, Lucy, found, um, she just heard from her friends that, oh, this is a professor from, uh, from Seton Hall. Uh, and she said, oh, oh gosh, I, I should take him around. I should show him something. And, and there's, I found this all, all over the place. Um, a tremendous sense of, uh, and I certainly experienced with Frank, you know, there's this, sense of, um, here's someone coming to my country, let me uh, give them a, a sense of what it's, um, what it's like, let me be a, a welcoming host. Okay. Um, and then this is one of the classrooms in uh, an English first year uh, uh, English classroom. Um, what's really interesting to me, I thought that I would stand out as taller than most Chinese, as you can clearly see, my assumption was completely off. Uh, I sort of, I, I, every time I look at the picture, it's like, where am I? Um, so, uh, although it's fairly, I mean, I'm fairly obvious, but, um, but still, uh, but you can see, one of the things that I notice about this, notice that this is not a gigantic classroom. I think the limit to this class was 24, um, and uh, that's not bad at all. Um, uh, even in the U.S., there's far too many first-year writing classrooms that are, you know, more than that. So that was encouraging to see. So um, what was my research at Wuhan? I had several goals um, uh, that had to do with understanding the English education system in China. One was to under, have some understanding of what the students' experience was of both high school and university instruction. 
um, also to understand what their attitudes towards English were and what their attitudes towards the U.S., coming to the U.S. Uh, were. Um, also wanted to know about the university professor's beliefs about teaching English um, because I knew that the, from some of the reading that I had done that, um, that uh, you know, China has just jumped into education really starting in the late, late 70s and I was concerned that their attitudes or knowledge of teaching writing might have been kind of still rather um, not up to, up to, of the, up to the times. Um, and that I also wanted to get a sense for what, for what a university classroom looked like. So the data for this, the only really solid data I, I would say I have is this. I had, I had 186 students uh, who um, volunteered to take this um, pretty extensive survey, and I'm going to show you the results of that in a minute. Um, but I also had interviews with three English language instructors. I observed three, uh, some of them were the same, uh, English language instructors in their classrooms, and I actually had interviews with 12 undergraduate students. But um, there are some real limitations. First of all, big limitation, this is currently rated like the top, depending on who you ask, top number six, number seven uh, school in all of uh, uh, China. So it's very selective, you know, the equivalent of, I don't know, Columbia University. Um, the other thing is that um, a, lot of the, a lot of the students that I interviewed were English majors who come from the foreign language schools, and foreign language schools are really an elite school in China. Um, these students don't even take the Gaokao. If they have gone to the foreign language school and have a recommendation, they are in. Um, and I understand why, because when I interviewed them, I had no problems. They were incredibly fluent. I was really, really impressed with the, the quality of, their, um, of the students who came out of the foreign language schools. Um, the other thing is that, uh, um, that my, the, one of my colleagues, Li Ying, um, said that she was a, she thought that some of the um, some of the students who were not from the foreign language students might not want to interview with me because of their they were afraid their language skills wouldn't wouldn't be up to it. But I did interview about half of the students I interviewed were were not from the uh, foreign language schools. So here's the first really interesting chart. Um, so what one of the things that's interesting is that 136 out of 100 um, 86 participants really wanted to come to the U.S. They rated their interest in furthering their education in the U.S. at six or higher on a scale of one to ten. So there's this really strong interest in China um, for, the, for students to come to the U.S. afterwards. And what was fascinating to me is the single biggest reason they just wanted to experience a different culture. <laughs> Um, I, I thought that was really telling, and I guess it, you know it makes sense. Um, I, I don't think in the U.S. we would have quite the same urge. Um, I'd like to know more about that. I wasn't able to follow up on that to find out, you know, what is behind that. But I got enough of a sense in the interviews. There's a sense of the students, have, the Chinese students, have a sense of being protected. I think um, uh, sheltered. Uh, they they are constantly wanting to bump up against the limits that are imposed uh, by the authorities. 
Um, so I think that's a big. That's why that probably is the biggest reason. But also, this was interesting. The second two biggest reasons were to improve their spoken and written English. Um, and then, contrary to what my expectations were, the motivation to become successful for and to, to help out with the family was one of the less um, popular reasons. And <laughs> Parental pressure, of course, was the lowest. <laughs> Interestingly, in a in a country where Confucian uh, Confucius is supposed to um, still have an important impact, uh, parental pressure was a pretty minor one. Yeah. That would be interesting if you had asked that question: be successful for themselves as opposed to be successful for family. Yeah. Do you think you would have gotten a different result? Um, because it might be you could be interpreted that way. So become successful for yeah. their own, yeah. for their parents as opposed yes. to yeah. themselves. Yeah. My hunch is that some of these other questions get at that. Um, going to a prestigious school, going to a school that provides the best educational choice, I think those might stand in for that, but um, not exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, Dong Dong? These are ones that I provided, but oh, I'm glad you asked that question. I had this fabulous set of graduate students that helped me set up. I was thinking at first I just needed technology help to, to do this, but I got way more than that. First of all, my graduate student assistant translated all the questions into Chinese, which I thought was crucial for really having good results. Um, but the other thing is, I, although I had an initial set of questions that I developed because I sat next to a woman on the plane going over to China who was in a, um, uh, a, a master's program at Rutgers <laughs> yeah, uh, from China. And so I had, I had already had my list of, of possible reasons why someone might want to come. But then I ran it by the graduate students. So I feel like they, they helped me come up with all of the questions that um, were, would be the likely ones. So that's how I developed those questions. Does that answer? Yeah. yeah. So the survey is so the survey was done in Chinese, yeah. Now, I didn't check the translation because I would have no idea how to do that. Um, but I'm assuming my graduate student was incredibly conscientious. I am trusted him implicitly. implicitly. I'm sure he translated, did a good job of translating. Are English majors? No, they're not. No, some of them are. Many of them are. Uh, among the 186 participants, I, I wasn't clear. Among my interviewees, about half were English majors. But among the, the 186 percent, uh, 186 participants, many of those, uh, most of them were either science majors or um, in some profession, so they, they weren't English majors. Um, so I should have provided this earlier <laughs> information about the survey participants. Um, so you can see that most of them were from a public school, a few from private school, and even fewer from international schools. Um, so here we get into some questions about writing assignments. Um, and this was a sort of a, had a two-humped uh, kind of curve to it, because um, when I asked the question, how many writing assignments did you receive, either in English or Chinese in high school, the biggest clump was under none, which was pretty amazing, 38 out of 100, no writing assignments. But then there were 90, half of the participants got more than eight which, as you'll see in a moment, is pretty amazing. Um, and then between you know, one and eight assignments, 
Uh, there's the rest of them, 56. But what this tells me, there's a, in China, there's a huge range of uh, probably of quality of education in terms of English. Sorry, uh, what about the time? Yeah. Did this is for one year. For a whole year. Yeah. Um, oh, wait a minute. Sorry about that. So this was a really interesting one. I put the ones in red that really uh, show off the difference between uh, the Chinese and the English emphasis. So virtually all the students, well, maybe 80%, 90 85%, said that argument is the kind of essay that they focused on. And here's what everyone had this memorized. They all knew this. This is the structure. First paragraph has one or two sentences for the topic. The second paragraph has a few sentences that I, I you know, give two or three points with details. And the third one is basically just a revised version of number one. Now, in a way, this doesn't seem a whole lot different from the classic um, th uh, five paragraph theme in the US. So I'm not gonna say we're all that much more advanced than they are, uh, to be honest with you. But the argument structure basically held true in English and in China, uh, in Chinese, in both in English classes and in Chinese classes. What's really fascinating to me, though, is the number, the amount of research writing was pitifully small, and the amount of time devoted to literature also uh, really quite small in terms of what they were focused on. I found this was even true on the college level because I got a syllabus from one of my colleagues, and this was a, a, a course in fiction um, yeah, it was a course in, 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 in literature, fiction literature, and I looked at what the requirements were. There was not a single paper assigned. Now, it's possible that the f final exam was an essay exam, but to me, the idea, I mean, in our English department, well, you can tell me, right? There is not a single course that you had that didn't require a paper, is there? No. I mean, and the look on your face is like, oh my God, are you kidding me, right? No, it's, um, so this is a really, I think this is a really big educational cultural difference, uh, that there is very little writing on literature in the high school, and maybe even going on into the college level to some extent. Um, but even more significant is that there's virtually no focus on research, and that showed up in my interviews a lot. Um, so um, this is sort of a confirmation of what we saw before. Pretty, um, it's a little hard to know what these mean exactly, but I wanted to get some sense of whether students felt that they got a lot of instruction or not so much. And you can see that most of them put some. Um, a surprisingly large number put 53. Um, I, I must admit I'm, I, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, but then you can see that 39 out of the 186 got almost nothing. And that lines up pretty well with the number of students who said they got absolutely no paper assignments. Um, this is another interesting thing. I wanted to find out how much of the, um, the typical process in the US English classroom would hold true. And um, so I wanted to ask about feedback, especially I was interested in peer feedback because even in the US peer feedback well, now it's pretty old hat, I mean, but when I was first teaching here uh, at Seton Hall 20 years ago, I would ask students about their experience with peer review, and it was almost always negative. And that's not the case anymore. They're much, much, have much better experiences. So, um, it's, to me, it's pretty interesting that, look how many students 
felt that they get peer feedback on most days about once a week or once or twice a week. That's a pretty healthy number, right? And um, teacher feedback, you know, also a pretty healthy number. Now, um, they get, there's, they're getting more feedback, right, on grammar. Uh, but that makes sense because that's what the gal cow is mostly about. It's about grammar, it's about word choice, it's about structure. Not so much about ideas. Drafting, also I wanted to know about um, the number of papers requiring a rough draft. You can see that um, it's a pretty small, right? Either none or one or two is the great majority. Very few, relatively few students are assigned three or more papers that require a rough draft. Um, that would be unusual in, a, in an American high school. So this is another interesting question. What, where, what did they feel helped them uh, with their writing? And uh, not too surprisingly, they thought that building vocabulary was important. And that makes sense if English is your, is a, you're learning as a, as a foreign language. Um, but the thing that's more interesting to me is that the second highest was memorizing models. And a lot of students referred to that. They would literally listen to a classmate's essay that was read out loud because the teacher had called on that student. They would listen to that essay. They would memorize specific phrases, ways of doing things, and use that in, write, in writing their own exam. Now, I'm, I'm going to call on you because you were smiling as I was talking about this. Does that, can you say something about, does this, is this ring true to you? Is this? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, tell me, can you say something about it? Uh, because uh, in, my, in my high school, uh, I remember my English, English teacher always teaching us some sentence. Uh, she said, it's very useful, and if you use the sentence, you, you, you will be, uh, get a high score. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so what you're also, also confirming is that sense is we're always teaching to the test, right? Teaching to the gal cow, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, well, thanks. Um, so, um, but it's also true that, um, well, the lowest, the one that was less useful was feedback from peers, not surprisingly. Collaborating to complete an assignment, probably didn't have much of that, and group discussion. So this is also like the US. Even in the US, the feedback that's gonna be appreciated is the feedback that comes from the teacher. But I thought also, listening to lectures, there's not so much lecture happening in writing classrooms, correct? Okay. Um, and what else was interesting here? Oh, the reading on a topic. That was a very popular one, too. Um, there was a sense that students <coughs> were expected to read up on something, and then that would give them a certain amount of expertise and then they'd be able to write about it, which, you know, certainly makes a lot of sense. So, this, now we're getting into the, the what we'd been getting into before this was the um, results from the survey. Now we're getting into some of the results from the um, interview. So, what is, what is it that they consider to be good writing? That was a question I just asked them. What is good writing? And over and over I heard expressing an idea clearly. No one said coming up with an interesting idea. And that was really reinforced, as you'll see in a moment, 
uh, from the teachers. Um, also, have few grammar errors and have a command of diction. So you, you can see you can see the teachers know exactly what that gal cow is all about, and they are being told, don't make errors, have a good vocabulary, and whatever. It doesn't matter. Your quality guard is that's that's not very important, but at least be clear about it, right? Um, that too is not all that different from some American high school teachers who talk mostly about having clear theses. They don't talk about having complex theses oftentimes. It's just clear. Clear is good. Um, now, here's an interesting thing. This I was I partly anticipated, but not as much as it came out came up. There's over and over again, both the students and the teachers talked about Chinese writing being different from English writing. And I never was totally clear about whether um, this meant um, the, the, the writing assignments that you happen to be getting in the context of learning how to write English, or were they saying that Chinese writing is different in general than English writing? And there's some evidence that suggests that, in fact, Chinese writing, essay writing, is different in general from English writing. But as it comes up from the students, uh, for them, English is more to the point, whereas Chinese is more descriptive, has multiple levels, has hidden meanings. Um, I don't see all that much difference in terms of some of the assignments. I'm just giving you one example, but here's a Chinese assignment in high school. Having read a story about a patriot who gave his life, what do you think and feel about this person? Um, and then here's an English one. Writing as a niwa, which is niwa, how do I pronounce it? Okay, thank you. I won't remember that. But okay, um, is an imaginary person. There was apparently a bunch of assignments like this. Writing as an imaginary person to an English friend instruct him how to learn Chinese, um, which I thought was interesting. So you can kind of see that this, the English assignment is designed to just produce information, um, whereas this one it does seem that with the with the prompt what you think and feel does suggest some kind of opinion. Um, some more complexity. Then when I asked about how high school and college compare, I got pretty brutal answers. Basically, high school prepared you for the exam, not for college. They were very clear about that. And one of the reasons why, again, you can see from those earlier results, in high school, it's about the argument. In college, it's about evidence, research, and objectivity. Now, you might say, well, arguments require every <laughs> research. Um, evidence and objectivity, but, a, but not on the high school level. It was really a matter of having, from what I could see, it was about having an organized opinion, um, an organized set of statements about opinions. Um, but they really felt unprepared uh, for the college requirements of having evidence, research, and objectivity. Um, so I, this is what I referred to a moment before. It turns out that, in fact, there is a general tendency for English prose to be more direct and straightforward and have a strong personal voice, whereas in the Chinese writing, it's more indirect. You don't try to tell someone exactly what to believe. Multiple perspectives are offered, but there isn't the sense of, oh, but here's the one you should, the preferred one. Um, instead, the writer is suggestive, communicates via rhetorical uh, questions, analogies, and anecdotes. It's not as hard-hitting. So I'd be interested, uh, again, you know, from during the question period, if you have any thoughts about that, how true that is. Um, and then from, this is from, the, from one of my Chinese professor colleagues. 
you know, she said that, you know, Chinese writing education focuses on original ideas, organization, and interlock. Logic is less emphasized. In Chinese prose, it is more acceptable to be diffuse. And in fact, she said, I don't know what the Chinese term is for diffuse, but she said that that is an actual term that is, a, there's a name in Chinese that means diffuse, and there's a kind of writing that is named that. Now, you again, maybe you can think about that. I what? Something refers to something like something. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you'll have to, I'll have to write, I'll have to write to her. I think this was, uh, I think this was uh, Yoing, uh, or Li Ning, uh, who told me about this. Um, and then the other thing that came out over and over again, it seemed like a lot of them were equating, you know, academic writing was, that was defined by English writing. You know, that, that, and, and again, I don't know if that's an artifact of how they're being exposed to academic because so much of it is in English, or, or if there is a way in which academic writing does feel like English writing because much of the English, much of the academic writing that's published is in English. I, I, I don't know. It's beyond me. Um, so the fascinating thing that has to, has to be involved in any discussion about Chinese education is that as of 2014, the average class size in China was 49 students. That's really big. <laughs> it's really hard to teach writing if you've got, a, if you've got 49 students in your class. And one of my students actually referred to that. And for that reason, oftentimes getting feedback from the teacher was, uh, was, um, was optional. You know, if you say to the professor, look, I want some feedback, or to the teacher, I want some feedback, they would give you some feedback, but they're too overwhelmed to do it for everyone. Um, so here are, the, here are the, some, some useful strategies from the interviews, and they mirror the strategies earlier. You know, learn the structure, that is simply the order of sentences and paragraphs. And they're told, you know, this, this is the sentence, here's sentence number one, here's sentence number two. This is what they're, this is how you do it. Um, reading and imitating high scoring compositions, which I'd mentioned before, uh, and reading lots of books and magazines, which of course sounds perfectly fine. Um, but uh, the way they were prepared for college uh, didn't really work uh, because of all these well, what I've been talking about. And so a number of the students had complaints about the essays being too simple, too short, too personal, and that they weren't being prepared to ask questions of what they had read, which would have been more, which would have helped them for college. Um, so I've already talked about high school and how high school and college compare. Um, so now from the professor's point of view, uh, it really, what the professor said largely mirrors the student uh, perceptions. And I'm gonna move on a little bit more quickly here. Um, I, here's something that's a little bit different. Uh, it's something that is being considered nowadays in American uh, classrooms. What, is, what role does the computer play? And so um, it's pretty clear that in China, it's a pretty normal thing for, um, for professors to tell students, look, send your essay through the computer, get feedback, revise it as many times as you want, then hand it in to me. And this is happening in American high schools and, and even to some extent in college. Um, so it's, it's an issue that's in both cultures we have to deal with, I think. Um, they both, the teachers mentioned both, uh, well, that should say process, 
um, process and product. They both, so they're, they're, the Chinese teachers are very much aware of process. Um, I didn't feel all that sophisticated. Um, one instructor said, well, free writing is okay, but it doesn't really help with, um, he, he was clearly lukewarm on it. Um, but outlining, that he was hot on outlining, uh, they certainly saw the value in drafting and revising. Um, so, uh, so the American focus on process, which we developed back in the 70s, is definitely moving, very heavily being moved, moving into the Chinese system. China uh, probably relies on models still a little bit more than we do. Uh, um, not just model essays as in good essays, but here's what a, um, a good, uh, a, a particular kind of essay, here's what a book review looks like, here's what an editorial looks like. Um, and so I think in that sense also using models. Um, the goals for their students were very interesting. And these represent three different instructors. I was really impressed with the first two, the idea of helping them with their career, giving them a voice, seeing writing as a way to learn. These are all very contemporary American educator kinds of attitudes. This one, help them develop a more English way of thinking. I think that's, again, to be more straightforward, more to the point. They saw that as a valuable thing. And she was very interested in getting her students to do original research. So I basically kind of sympathized with this, but this was a little disturbing. This one man that I interviewed said, I want to help ex them express their ideas properly. I don't really care about how good their ideas are. <laughs> I mean, he just came right out and said it. You know, I'm, my job is to help them express properly. Um, uh, good ideas apparently will come later. Um, and then finally, what does the classroom look like? I was really impressed with the classrooms that I observed. Um, although there wasn't the kind of boisterous conversation, that uh, discussion that I oftentimes see in American classrooms, which I get to see a lot of since I observe a lot of the classrooms as part of my job, there was a general sense of, I, would ca I called it relaxed politeness. Um, yes, they were polite, but I didn't feel like they were constrained. They felt comfortable in the classroom, I thought. There was a lot of use of small group work, which is not something you would have seen even in the U.S. 40 years ago. Um, so they used it for a whole bunch of different reasons, you know, brainstorming, uh, outlining, uh, composing a paragraph collaboratively. So very interesting kind of work. The classroom was definitely a very, was a mixture of activities over a long period of time, because these classes lasted, I think they lasted two hours with a, a break in the middle. Um, and then other things that I would often, you know, you'd expect in any classroom, individual work. Um, also, compliments from the teacher. These were not stern teachers. You know, they were all women, the ones that I observed. But I didn't feel they were particularly stern. One of the assignments was to actually write for a real audience, which you don't see all the time. Um, phones used for translations in class a lot. Um, and uh, some, some of them had very clever in-class exercises that I found myself doing instead of taking notes because they were so fun. Um, limited use of lecture, I would say. Now, uh, what time am I getting to here? It's 428. It's what? What is the time, is it? It's 4.28. Oh, that's really bad. I thought this was going to last a half an hour. <laughs> wow, OK. I have to share one, oh, well, huh. I think I should just. I have a room for a bit longer, but. Okay, but not much. 
Well, but people are probably going to have to leave. So I just, I'm going to, I've just, I studied self-beliefs of students um, because that's sort of my research area. And I just wanted to share one thing. Locus of control is a concept that has to do with whether we think we are in charge or basically fate or luck or chance is in charge. And um, I expected, I chose this because I thought there might be a cultural difference between America and China. And my hunch was correct. Um, so in fact, there, there was a, the way uh, this instrument works, there were 28 true-false questions or true-false statements. They all get added up and uh, some of, and, and depending on how you answer it, you're coming across as a, having a greater external locus of control or a greater internal locus of control. As I suspected, the Chinese students had a greater, what would you have expected? Would you expect the Chinese or the American students to have a greater external sense of control? What, what is in charge? If you're in China, are you in charge or is some larger fate, authority, whatever? No guesses? I'd say that the Americans would probably think they have most control. Absolutely, yeah. The American score was high. It was more internal than the Chinese was. But it wasn't a really large difference. But when I looked at some individual things, there were amazing differences. I mean, really profoundly different. So if you look at the ones in red, these are the ones that were more external for the Chinese. Now, I am a good writer. No, I understand. You know. um, so, but the ones that are in red all have to do with what I would call um, the relationship between effort and achievement. Effort and getting something, getting what you want. So for example, I plan well and I stick to my plans. Doing work on time is always important to me. Um, I would like to go to graduate from college, but there are more important things to do in my life. I have largely determined my, my own career goals. These all have to do with kind of goals and effort towards goals. Very much the Americans were way more internal on this than the Chinese. But the Americans were more external on the factors that have to do with a sense of hope or depression. I get depressed sometimes, and then there's no way I can accomplish what I know I should be doing. Things will probably go wrong for me sometime in the near future. Uh, this was a little bit, a little bit different, but but it's these two that were especially interesting to me. Americans were far more apt to have, just not have a sense of, a kind of a having a gloomy outlook compared to Chinese. It was fascinating. I don't know what that's all about, but I uh, so I think I'll leave you with that. The one subject we really didn't get to is to think about machine translation. Anybody who wants to talk more about that, um, I, I'll just leave this last screen up here. This is the recommendations for educational use of machine translators. And of course, I can share this PowerPoint with anybody who wants it. So uh, with zero time left for discussion, now that I've, that's the trouble. I don't have my, I don't have a, I can't see what the time is with the slideshow on. Well, Barry so, Walker usually posts these on the um, okay. faculty. So they'll see them. Okay. Yeah, All right. and you'll be you reported. So I'm curious, you know, those who those of you who can stay, um, I'd be happy to entertain questions or forward them to you know 